0: So, hi everyone, welcome to the MyGBC podcast. I hope you're all doing well and had, had an amazing break. I know it's a break that we all deserved it very much as students. We went through a lot of exams, so it was nice to have a little bit of break. So, welcome back. Today, I have the pleasure of hosting two distinguished guests who play pivotal roles in shaping the academic and professional journeys of our students. And joining me today, I have Anna Okelic, who is the manager of academic operations and field education, as well as Paul Zaneros, who is the manager of field education and partnerships. So Anna and Paul bring a wealth of knowledge and experience to the conversation, guiding students through the dynamic realms of co-op and field placements. And as experts in their respective roles, they provide invaluable insights into the differences between co-op and placement. They share uh, tips on securing meaningful opportunities, and we have got to explore the transformative impact of these experiences on students' professional development. So yeah, that's what we're going to do today and I'm just going to say hi to Paul and Anna. Uh, so hi. <laughs> and, uh, hi there.
1: Hello.
0: <laughs> Let's just get started with like, your roles. Uh, if you could just briefly introduce yourself and tell us what you do, that would be great. And uh, we can start with Paul.
1: Hi there, thanks for having me. Uh, Paul Zanettos, I'm the Manager of Field Education and Partnerships for the Center for Arts, Design and Information Technology. I cover the School of Design, School of Media Performing Arts, School of Fashion and Jewelry and School of, uh, did I already mention computer technology? Um, Anyway, what I do is with the programs that we have field placement or co-op, I ensure that it's built into the curriculum properly and that we're meeting all the requirements to prepare students to be uh, sent into the industry. And the other portion is to ensure that we have enough employers to be working with our students uh, who are looking for those types of placements.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Thank you for the introduction. And how about you, Anna? Thanks, Pintia. Thanks for having me here, first and foremost. So,
2: as you mentioned, yes, my name is Anna Vukilic. I work as a manager of academic operations and field education for the School of Social and Community Services and School of Deaf and Blind Studies. Nobody's going to get quizzed on my title because it's pretty lengthy, <laughs> uh, but very similar to Paul, I work with the team of the field coordinators who are supporting students going into placements uh, for social service workers program, for community worker, AWCCA, which would stand for Assaulted Women and Children Advocate Counselor Program, CDP, which would stand for Career Development Practitioner Program, um, and the CYC, Child and Youth Care Program as well. And then on the School of of the Deaf and DeafBlind Studies, we're supporting students going into placements in the Deaf and DeafBlind Intervener and honors bachelor's or interpretation program. So a lot of different pieces to navigate as Paul mentioned as well, um, not only working with the teams and getting students feedback on their experiences in placement and what better we can do on our George Brown side, but also extending the partnerships and na- navigating many operational sides of placements, especially when things doesn't go as planned.
0: Amazing, yeah, thanks for that. Uh, I think now that we know what you both do, it's very helpful. And it's going to definitely help us understand uh, how we can probably get help from you. But when we were talking with uh, Paul and Anna before we had this interview uh, and through emails, they mentioned that there is a difference between the two terms of co-op and placement. Uh, So can you just explain what is the difference between the two of those?
1: So before actually looking at those two terms, we have to actually consider the umbrella term of experiential learning Mm -hmm. and experiential learning actually just covers all types of learning that uh, could take place in the classroom. It could take place outside of the classroom. But what you're doing in those situations is practicing those skills that you're developing through your coursework. So under experiential learning, uh, you have a number of different types of categories The two that you just just described are co-op and field placement, and at times you might even hear internship. I guess the easiest way of breaking it down is with a co-op, you are working a full semester and doing nothing else with the employer. And under those guidelines, you are basically just assigned work and completing work that should correspond with the learning outcomes of your program. With field placement or internship, what is happening in these cases is that you're working um, and this is for my program specifically, but you're working usually a minimum of about 120 hours and you have other coursework concurrent with your internship. So you're not solely doing the one uh, work integrated learning project. You're doing a number of different courses at the same time. So in that, uh, in my area, that's the best way of describing it. But I think we need to start considering the term experiential learning before looking at those subcategories that describe what the students are accomplishing during that period of time.
0: Amazing, yeah, that's very good to know. So then uh, placement is, for the most part, part time, right? Because they're well, hard- it, <laughs> Exactly. That,
1: yeah, that, that's really how it's defined within my area, but Anna might have different mm-hmm. ways of describing her programming.
2: Yeah, I can talk a bit more about it. Uh, for full disclosure, we're within our School of Social and Community Services and School of Deaf and DeafBlind. We're only having placements uh, or what some programs are referring to as practicums. We don't have co-ops. So preparing for this conversation, I also looked up probably the same information as Paul it. And this is all part of the work integrated learning. What's called and what's known within George Brown. Um, COPS, as Paul mentioned, can be throughout the semester and it's um, not happening simultaneously with the classes uh, versus placements or practicum within my area are happening simultaneously with the classes. So in duration of one week, you would have, for example, um, two days a week would be strictly dedicated for academic, for classes. And then three days a week would be a time when students are having designated time for the placements. So that's a bit of a difference. I also not 100% sure just because I don't have co-op under me, uh, but um, placements are strictly unpaid, at least they are in my two schools. And we're going a bit of a back and forth on that one with students recently and getting a lot of questions around why is that. Uh, So just to clarify that. For one reason or the other, this is just the nature of our sector and our industry. So place students are usually working their um, hours within social work agencies, nonprofit agencies that are largely, as we all know, unfortunately, underpaid as they are. Uh, so they have very little resources to, alongside their own employees, to support students coming into the placement. But just because they're not monetarily compensated, uh, that doesn't mean there is not a lot of benefits to them, which I'm sure we're going to touch later on. So that's my understanding of co-op versus placement.
1: Thank you, Anna. And if I could just add to that as well, um, when I post co-op roles and I have co-op in our School of Computer Technology and our School of Design, we only post paid co-op work mm-hmm. terms simply because that is the, the requirement. Now, there will be situations where a student will come to us and say, "Uh, I found something, but it's unpaid, what we'll do is we'll limit the time that they can be working uh, as part of that co-op, simply because we don't want the employer exploiting the student, and we don't want it to become uh, basically a bad habit for these employers to keep posting or keep asking students to um, work unpaid, but our policy is that whatever we post for our students is paid when it comes to co-op. When it comes mm-hmm. to internship or field placement, we do have, uh, and it's been growing uh, quite a bit over the last couple years post-COVID, that employers are coming to us with paid opportunities, but the majority is still unpaid. And similar to uh, Anna, a lot of our design firms and studios and agencies they know what's required from a mentorship and a supervisory standpoint. So usually, the time they spend with the student, in terms of money, I guess, far outweighs what they would be actually paying the student. So they have to balance where they could be adding uh, payments to their to their uh, mm-hmm. posted internships. So we're hoping this will change over time and we are introducing a variety of funding resources to our employers because we want to make this the standard. But Mm -hmm. unfortunately, this goes beyond us and, you know, we're at the mercy of our employers and Mm -hmm. if they're not paying, then there's really not much we can do. But as we Mm -hmm. all know, Uh, internships or any type of work integrated learning for academic credit is okay. It it is legal. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily the ideal standard, but that's the way it works. What we have to avoid having and to publish in some ways, having those internships be unpaid uh, that are not for academic credit. And -hmm. that's where we have to be vigilant in ensuring that our students are not being exploited.
2: For sure. I agree. As Paul said, we don't have a lot of control over how the placement organizations are going to conduct the placements. We have some, but especially when it comes to paid versus unpaid, there is only as much as we can say or do, right? Uh, But there are a couple of grants and funding resources on George Brown's side that we've been continuously applying for in the past couple of years for some of the programs in my portfolio, most specifically the child and youth care within the School of Social and Community Services and Career Development Practitioner Program. So these are the students who are coming into the program and the funding while they're in a placement is available to them to support with kind of basic Um, life needs with uh, a presto card with uh, you know something to to do with the internet connection as well if they're working partially from from home so there are fundings that are available right now and they're being more and more available for um, other students and other programs as well but as Paul mentioned it's going to take time probably and there is only as much as we can do on George Brown's side but we're certainly looking into that and doing as much as we can.
0: Amazing, yeah. I just have a follow-up question as I was listening to you to talk about this. Um, So I personally think that based on my knowledge that some co-ops and some placements are like not mandatory while some of them are. Uh, So could you just briefly explain about that? Like do you know there are certain programs that have like mandatory um, co-op replacements or is it always by choice if you want to do it you can do it and if not you don't have to?
2: So I can speak for my school of social and community services and school of deaf and Deaf Blind. All of the placements are core requisites with the academic classes, and all of them are not only embedded, but uh, mandatory for graduation.
1: How about the school of design? All right, so with our school of design, we have two degree programs that have a mandatory co-op between third and fourth year. And then we have a mandatory co-op in our design management program. And then the other work integrated learning programs uh, in the School of Design, it is just an elective. It's not mandatory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in our School of Computer Technology, we have six postgraduate programs that have the choice between a co-op or what we call work integrated project or WIP for short. And these programs are, are projects are led by our program coordinators they have connections to industry and they develop these professional level projects that allow students to work on a professional level assignment task, uh, something that usually uh, involves a group. And then usually at the end, they present to both their professor and to members of industry. So what we've done there is provided uh, a space for students to practice what they've learned in the classroom in an environment that would be similar to a work environment. Uh, And we feel that both opportunities provide the students that experiential type of learning that would allow them to enter into the industry once they've completed the program. So yes, we do have mandatory, but it's not the standard. It's usually a choice between the two.
0: Okay, so just moving on to the next questions, could you just briefly explain what are the types of like examples of co-ops and placements that students usually get into depending on the programs that you guys are uh, covering? Uh, So, yeah,
2: um, we're working closely with the agencies and this has been, you know, based on historical data um, that are. Agencies whose work is kind of matching George Brown's curriculum and learning outcomes. So we want to make sure that what students are getting in the classrooms is transferable and relevant once they come into the placement or into their workplaces. So as you said, based on the program, for example, we have AWCCA program, which is Assaulted Women and Children. Uh, Students of those programs uh, would find placement in um, agencies that support survivors of domestic violence, gender-based violence, things like that. Social work, community work students would be in a nonprofit, um, agencies supporting homelessness, addictions, mental health, things like that. Um, career development students would be placed in employment and training agencies, um, job development agencies, things like that. On the side of the School of Deaf and Deaf-Blind Studies, uh, we're having a Deaf and Deaf-Blind Intervener Program, which would um, usually work one-on-one with service users that are both deaf and blind and kind of assist them in their everyday living as they're going around their day. Um, And same for the Program of Honor, Bachelors of Interpretation, where students are interpreting on the behalf of the deaf person uh, that they're working with. So very, I would say, program-specific, but ranging, as I said, from homeless shelters, food banks, retirement homes, addiction and mental health services, school boards, employment services, various agencies, yes.
0: Amazing, That's great to know. And how about you, Paula? I would assume it's mostly like design agencies and creative studios, as you mentioned.
1: Um, Well, I'd like to also begin with our fashion and jewelry school. Um, They have been doing this the longest in our area. Um, They actually have the largest uh, grouping of mandatory field placements across my area. And mainly because uh, we're we're an accredited fashion and jewelry school, which means you need uh, mandatory field placements. So we've been doing this for a while, and we have developed an amazing group of employers over the last, well, it's, I've been with the group now for just under a decade, but it goes for longer than that. And um, even though some of the larger organizations that we've been dealing with in the past, like the uh, the Holt Renfrews and the Nordstroms and the Bays and um, you name it, they have... Um, because operations have significantly decreased over time, we have less students going into those areas. But there's an incredible amount of like small to medium sized businesses that engage with us. And we've been working with them for, like I said, uh, a long time now, we've developed these amazing uh, relationships with them. And then with school computer technology, we do have a variety of programs that match up what's required with the needs of industry. So um, generally speaking, our information systems business analysis program has been leveraged upon by our uh, employers because they um, need uh, BAs quite a bit, business analysts. And we have a, a whole bunch of students that go out each year to a variety of small to very large organizations um you know the banks the big technology companies um and even like insurance companies and so on and then we have you know smaller to medium size uh organizations that engage our uh ai students our mob- mobile app students and our block uh, blockchain students and then um A program that's niche to us is a health health informatics program where we have large uh, clinical environments, uh, be it um, hospitals or um, uh, health agencies. They'll come to us and they'll hire, again, from one to multiple students to help um, implement new systems into their uh, clinical environments. And then with School of Design, it's it's very much, um, yes, design agencies. Also, uh, we work with um, architectural firms, interior design firms, product design, because there's a lot of overlap that takes place. And uh, you have to maintain a variety of uh, relationships to ensure that there are enough placements for our students. So it's very active on a business development front. And, you know, in a in a perfect world, I would have a team of 10 working on just (laughs) working (laughs) on developing these relationships. But, um, you know, we try to be there in front of them as much as we can to ensure that they know that our students are available for them whenever they need them.
0: For sure. That's amazing. And as I was listening, I again, like had this question just because I'm going to go through all of these as well. So like, uh, how do we as students end up applying for these placements? Like would we go on a website or how does it work?
1: So we have to be cognizant of what the industry requires and what they're looking for in terms of um, how they're going to be funded for projects or how they reach out to industry through previous uh, co-ops so with for instance in your area um, it is a bit of a hybrid in that you would have employers reviewing resumes and portfolios and then they would select who they want and then those names would be attached to the funding request to the agency that would be funding the project and then you would be working on that co-op after that Or we would post jobs from our employer partners that might be just for our students or they might be posted to other schools as well. And then you would apply for those jobs internally using a job board that we have called GB Careers. So that is how uh, the majority uh, of our jobs are posted. We might have situations where employers already know who they want or we have students who already have something lined up. And then we just work on the back end to ensure that both parties have the paperwork and that they're properly processed through the registration system to ensure that they're gonna get credit for that experience.
0: Amazing. Yeah, sounds pretty straightforward. So hopefully we can easily apply for all of those um, (laughs) placements and co-ops. And how about you, Anna? How how do your students apply for these um, opportunities? Yeah, yeah.
2: Paul uh, pretty much covered it all, but it's it's a lengthy process of finding and securing a placement and actually making it a meaningful experience. So we always advise our students to start by uh, identifying their own um, kind of goals and values and population that they want to work with one day. So... As part of the prep for field, which is a class that happens prior to students going into placements, uh, we provide something that's kind of like a reflective tool that helps them navigate their own, as I said, value systems and um, things they want to be working with down the road. And we ask them to start from there because it's a completely different thing to work in a retirement home with the senior people or, for example, supporting youth in a homeless shelter living in with mental health and addictions, right? So uh, we're kind of asking them to to that, do that first step for us and for themselves, because then uh, we're going to mitigate a lot of problems um, coming down the pipe. Um, second thing is that we advise them to research the agencies and the organizations on their own. So again, based on the population they want to work with, kind of find the surroundings, um, agencies in your neighborhood, someone maybe you already have a connection with, as Paul said, Um, and just started from there. I would also say utilize George Brown resources because uh, we do have our field placement coordinators for each of the programs that are working very long and hard to provide Long list, lists of agencies that have been taking our students historically, and they're posting them on, as Paul mentioned, GBC Careers. We're also posting them on Brightspace. So, everywhere where students are checking in and looking for those resources, they should be posted there as well. Um, I would also say, from my personal experience, I'm an SSW graduate and alumni myself. So, I know what I've been using when I was looking for placements. For example, 211 and 311 Toronto is amazing for sourcing out um, community agencies and looking. That way as well. If anything else was missed, um, I would also say having a really good resume and cover letter, and really presenting yourself well in that kind of a prepping stage of of securing a placement is important as well. And I would also say apply early and apply widely because our students are sometimes applying for, you know five or like three, four, five agencies where I think it's really a strong advice to apply for as many as you can and as many yeah. as you find meaningful. And then you'll see how many of them actually come back with an interview time and how many of them actually come with their offer of a student doing a placement with them. So start early and start wide and then kind of shrink your um your agencies. And um, that's a recipe for success,
0: I think. Yeah, so I think what I understood from both of you, what students can do uh, is that first of all, prepare the portfolios if you have like a more practical program or like your resumes and cover letters, because for whatever you need to apply, you definitely need a good cover letter resume portfolio. Exactly,
2: yeah. And I think career services within George Brown, that's another great resource of uh, helping students with resume, cover letter, and mock interviews. And our field placement coordinators are here for that as well. But a career center is another amazing resource as well.
1: For sure. And if I, could, if I could add something to this as well, the key here is that your motivation to find a co-op or a placement could not be based solely on what the college is doing point is is that we are acting as partners with you as part of this process mm-hmm. and as part of this process students should be coming in knowing what they want to do especially at the college level and if you know what you want to do you should have a sense of where you want to go or uh like in the case of design like who your favorite creative directors are, or who your favorite agencies are, or the, what some of the best work you've seen. You go on Instagram and you, or you go on X or whatever the case is, and you try to connect with these people and say, "Hey, I love your work. I'd love to join you guys if that's possible. This is my program. Do you think you can fit me in?" Right? These yeah. people, especially designers and creative people are totally submissive when it comes to flattery. They'll do anything, (laughs) okay, for you if you tell them how great they are. And that's just me working with this industry for now over 10 years. So I'm not saying that you're supposed to just gush endlessly and make them feel uncomfortable. It's really about letting them know that you admire what they do and you would like to join them at one point in time. And really, if they're willing to do something like that, they like bring you on and they like your portfolio, or they're like your way of thinking, they will make the sacrifice to have you come on there as well. This doesn't necessarily mean that they will accept all offers, but at least you've, as part of that, started developing a network. So yeah. mm-hmm. we're not the sole source of you finding... A placement. We are partners Mm -hmm. as part of this process and my team can only do so much in the joining of industry and students but having a student who is really gung-ho about working somewhere specifically or doing a specific type of work or I remember early on when I first launched graphic design uh, field placement back in 2012 the people that found work were the students that add a portfolio that had a voice you didn't necessarily need to Mm -hmm. be an a plus student across the board but if you had a portfolio that showed your work in a like a, a in a motive way in a way that expressed everything that you were about you were guaranteed to find something so really the process is like i said it's a joint process but it requires a bit of heart and a bit of uh tenacity and ambition and the willingness to go a step beyond to not just get a job but to get a job that I really like right and that's where I think it falls upon the student to take the tools that they're developing in class and express them with industry through a variety of different means so just something to consider
0: For sure. Yeah, I definitely agree with that a lot that someone who has been like applying to internships and all that, like, I mean, not for my co-op, particularly for the last couple of summers. I found that a lot of people are very friendly and nice if you just email them and just say whatever you said, like, I love your work or all that. And even if you don't get like an instant internship for whenever you're applying, it's always great to kind of have those connections because By the time you're graduating, it's been a couple of years, your portfolio has probably improved a lot. And if you've been in touch with that person, it's very much Mm -hmm. more likely that they would have an opportunity coming up and they would want to hire you later. So it's really great to do all of that and uh, agree. I'm personally very excited for going on my co-op and I do believe that it's very much helpful for getting a job after graduation just because of the stuff that you learn while doing the co-op or the internship or the placement. Uh, But do you two have like examples of students who have gone on a co-op or field placement that has been really helpful for them and it has positively impacted the student?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think they're having this really realistic, practical, hands-on experience working with the population and within the industry that they are choosing to study for. Um, As Paul mentioned before, and you now as well, networking piece as well, right? So you're not only building a network within the organization you're working with, but sometimes on behalf of your organization, you're making calls or emailing other community organizations as well, advocating for your clients, advocating for your agency, and kind of broadening the spectrum of uh, people that you have under your belt. And I don't have to tell you how many times we have students actually being offered a job after the placement, or maybe after a graduation. And that just shows that a, the, the field is definitely in demand, and yeah. then B, that students who uh, make a good impression and try their best in placements um, are likely to network positively and, you know, be offered something. Not to say that students who are not being offered anything are not good or not performing well, far from it. I was a student in uh, a very huge organization when I was doing my SSW program. And just because of the size of it, um, you know, I thought I was doing really well, uh, but uh, definitely didn't get hired right after graduation. So uh, many factors are, are involved, but networking super important. Um, I would also say that um, you know it's good to have something that's outside of you know regular student job or outside of your volunteering experience that you can put in your resume and cover letter. So once when you'll be actually interviewing for jobs. They will say that you bring a certain skill set based on the placement that you did as well. And um, again, from my personal experience, another thing that I used, and I asked my placement supervisor uh, to provide me a reference. Um, So when I was getting my first job in a field after school and after placement, I already had this group of people, both on the academic side and the agency supervisor side, they were kind of rooting for me and being able to provide me the reference. So many benefits, as I said.
0: Amazing. Yeah. And how about
1: you, Paul? Okay, so I'm really going to get into the weeds here because I think (laughs) this is important for everyone to understand uh, that the co-op or field placement internship is not always the gateway to a full-time job or your forever job. Yeah. Now, saying that, I can assure you that I've had countless examples of people that have done a co-op or an internship and have uh, transitioned to, to full-time work afterwards. But here's the situation where I uh, want everyone to be a little bit more uh, cautious and understanding of how each and every kind of internship works because they're all very different. Number one is if you secure a internship or a co-op, that does not necessarily mean that you've secured full-time work, right? If you want it to be full-time work, all right, you do exactly what you're told to do and you do it really well. And then you ask politely at the end if there's something afterwards. And if not, you ask them to provide you with a recommendation letter for future opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, That I think is important and it, it does work. Um, Another thing is I find, and this is something that, um, and like I was mentioning earlier, I was on a a professional development leave last year conducting research on how work integrated learning is uh, delivered and executed uh, with our European partners. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered was on the uh, design and creative side, Some schools have a system whereby they would have like an internship, but they would also do a course on career planning and prep before they graduate. That way they can take the information or the work that they have completed as part of their internship and put it into a more fully developed portfolio before they graduate. And they would have a plan of attack in terms of how to network and gain full-time employment afterwards. So while many students, and I think this is based on previous experience, think of this as the transition to full-time work, I think a better way of approaching it is a means to graduating and gaining that uh, credential. And I'm not trying to you know, be a wet blanket or uh, not try to uh, encourage students to find and secure co-op or placement. But it, it is not the end of the road. It is just the beginning. And it has to be treated as such. And I think when you look at it that way, you're not as nervous about finding a co-op or internship. You don't have that anxiety that comes with, if I don't find this, then my career is over before it even began. And there is a lot of that that takes place because there's like almost like this desperation to secure something, but it's not about the finding of work or securing work. It's the actual practice that takes place. And to be quite honest, you might be better suited or better fit to be practicing your trade or your craft with a professor or a mentor or even something else. Because in the end, and I'm just using this from a from a creative standpoint, it's the portfolio that's going to get you those doors opened, exactly. not the fact that you've done a co-op because a co-op really is just another course or an internship is just another course in your journey in uh, securing a credential.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned that uh, like, it's not going to always turn into jobs and my program coordinator was actually saying exactly the same thing and she was saying that a lot of our students, yeah, they do get jobs like after finishing your internships. Well, a lot of them don't, so don't really count on it. And I guess like it depends on a few things too. Like for example, for us, um, doing a co-op in between our third and fourth year, we don't really have the option of getting hired right after because we have to go back to school for our fourth year. And then for some others, even if they are doing their internship or co-op, whatever, at the end of their program, it really depends on like the company that you work for. Like are they, for so if they liked your work. Um, already hiring at that point because I've known some very very great students that uh, they were supposed to be hired but then things came up the company didn't have enough budget so they didn't end up hiring them so it's not really you like if you think that um, you did a bad job or anything sometimes it's just the situation it doesn't align and it doesn't happen um so I, yeah. of,
1: I often get that question where it's um uh... When I'm speaking to students in class about this, it's like what percentage of employers hire students full time? That number would change year to year. There is no consistency at all, uh, and there's a number of different factors behind that. But the college is not a placement agency. We're not an employment, you know, placement agency. We are uh, we're a post secondary institution training people for a certain industry and. It's what you develop here and the artifacts you develop as part of that program that gets you through yeah. that door. Right. So, again, the 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 work integrated learning opportunity should be seen as just another stepping stone in your, um, you know, on your way to achieving a, a credential. For
0: sure. Yeah. And do you have any tips uh, for students to kind of demonstrate professionalism as they are in the workplace? Or uh, is it like is co-op or placement different from any other job that you would have?
2: Uh, Yeah. Speaking from my experience as a George Brown student not so while ago and now working here and supporting students as well, in my mind, and Paul, I'm curious to see what your thoughts are on this, but professionalism in a placement, Pretty much equals professionalism in a workplace, right? So, rules are kind of the same, you know, kind of show on on time and be presentable, be respectful with your clients and other people you're working with, work on your communication skills, time management skills, problem solving skills. So, how I see work, uh, you know, paid opportunities, that's the same way I see placements, because as we mentioned, there are many factors uh, contributing whether you're going to kind of get recognized, whether you're going to the agency is going to keep you in their network as you exit. And for all of those reasons, it's really good to put your best foot forward and um, try your very best and really um, make up this imaginary scenario in your mind that you're really actually working in that agency yeah. for those three short months. And you really have to give your best and present yourself in the best way possible.
0: For sure. Yeah. And how about you, Paul?
1: Exactly what Anna said to the word. Plus, <laughs> <laughs> I would add that there is an amazing amount of learning that can take place when you're not comfortable, meaning mm-hmm. you don't have to go into a situation knowing absolutely everything or being you know, on par with everyone else in that studio or office environment. You have to go in, though, with the soft skills. Meaning Mm -hmm. you have to be able to, you know, you have to be polite. You have Mm -hmm. to wait. You have to, you know, be clear in your communication. You have to write emails that are professional. You cannot be on your phone. You cannot be watching YouTube videos or your favorite podcast while doing your work. Do not put on your headphones. Ask. It's like, I work better if I put on my headphones. Mm -hmm. Is that okay? Okay. And they would probably say yes because the rest of us do that as well. Mm -hmm. But there are certain things that you have to go into the situation knowing that no one owes you anything. You have to prove to them why you belong. And it's the small things that get you to the point where you'll be trusted. I'll I'll give an example of our uh, graphic design students. It's when they're hiring you, they already know you could work on Adobe Creative Suite. That's not the point. It's about, are you meeting deadlines? Are you responding to clients on time? Are you providing ideas? Or mm-hmm. are you you know, being respectful of the people that have been there for like 10 years already and you're not talking over them because you think your idea is better? That's not mm-hmm. the point. The point is you're invited there as a guest and you prove yourself by being you know, a good person, polite, open to ideas, making sure you get work done on time. And there's nothing better in the world as an employer myself than someone saying, look, I've done this, and I know I have a couple of hours left in my day. I'm more than happy to do anything else. Let me know if you've got something for me, right? do not just sit there at your computer and do nothing because that's all you were assigned for the day show them that you belong that's what it comes down to
0: exactly yeah i was gonna just actually say that besides being professional if you want to really be known as somebody who's a valuable uh, team member just do what paul just said do go above and beyond do something that you're not asked to do because Mm -hmm. every Listening to like different podcasts about like internships and like getting a job and all that people always say the way to stand up is that if you do um more than you're supposed to and not meaning that you're just doing too much that you're putting yourself under too much pressure but just show that you are there because you want to be there and you're passionate about whatever that you're asked to do
1: but lines could be crossed when an employer asks for too much or to work on weekends yeah. or
0: right that
1: is when i you know i tell students and with all students across the board is that. If you feel like you're being exploited in any way, you have to let us know as soon For as sure. possible mm-hmm. so we can address this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, And I, I, I don't go out and blame the employer right away. I, I just try to get the sense of where things are and then try to find the solution or at least try to find different steps to get the student to complete whatever work that they've been assigned. Because I'm not going, mm-hmm. I mean, I always I always err on the side of the student every single time if something goes wrong but it doesn't mean i'm going to go out there and admonish the employer right away i'm going to have to get to the bottom of the entire story and then figure out next steps so uh unfortunately that has happened in the past but it doesn't happen yeah. very often because i think there's a give and take there on both sides and uh you know our employers or the ones that we trust uh you know understand that there are limits to everything
0: Amazing! Yeah, that's that's a very good point. Just know the limits. Uh, yeah, don't do so much more than you're supposed mm-hmm. to do. Amazing! Yeah. So I think that was pretty much all of my questions. So a big thank you to our guests Anna and Paul, uh, for shedding light on co-op and field placements. Uh, your expertise have been very uh, invaluable. I personally learned a lot. Uh, so thank you so much for that. Thanks, Cynthia. Thanks, guys. This
1: Thanks was for awesome. having thank us. So
0: Agree. Yeah. Thank you. And to our listeners, we hope that you find this discussion informative and stay tuned for more content coming from the GBC podcast. And until next time, thank you for joining us and have an amazing day.